Welcome to Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks from Zenki Dillo Roshi, the guiding teacher at the Boulder Zen Center in Boulder, Colorado. We are excited to announce the self-paced course on Dogen's Genjo Koan is live. There you can find all the rest of the Dharma talks in this series. The course helps make Dogen's text more accessible and bring his teachings into our everyday lives. I've put a link in the show notes where you can learn more about it. If you would like to dive deeper into all the topics discussed by Zanki Roshi in this podcast, consider becoming a premium subscriber. This will give you access to recorded Q&A sessions related to each talk, as well as previously unreleased talks from our intensives. Becoming a premium subscriber helps to support the continuation of the podcast and Zanki Roshi's teachings. Learn more about it by clicking the link in the show notes. Now here's Zanki Roshi. So many of us are in, uh, in what we're calling an everyday Zen practice period, and uh, I chose to make, give this three months time of practice a, a theme, which is, I'm a little bit questioning whether this is good or not. But uh, as you know, I've decided to um, study with you the Genjo Koan, which is uh, Dogen's most celebrated text. And Dogen, for those of you who don't know, is the founder of our Soto Zen lineage in Japan. So this is a very seminal text for this tradition. Um, I assume that some of you, maybe most of you, have not really studied this text in recently or ever. <laughs> and so today, I'm not even going to look at the text. We're just going to look at the title. And, you know, when, when you have a text like this, which we shouldn't read so much as prose, we should... Mm, Look at it more as poetry. You know, what do I mean by that? It is prose. It's not poetry, but we should read it like poetry. Prose is like you have... <clears throat> how can I say this? You have a situation. A situation is a complexity. It uh, has facts and problems and... Um, intentions built into it. Every every part of our life is, we could look at as a situation or we could look at our life as a um, complex of situations. And prose has the tendency to, you know, spell out, explicate all the different parts of the, ex, of the, of the situation. It's not possible ever to spell out all parts, you know, but you make an attempt to be very detailed about it. Like a newspaper article is trying to give you a full um, description, explanation of a situation. A poem doesn't do that. A poem is like, it just pulls out certain 
uh, salient aspects of a situation and it lets the situation come together on its own. It's like there's a lot more space between the parts that a poem says and you have to fill in the blanks or those blanks are actually, you know, your feelings and memories and hopes in life and all that uh, comes together as the meaning of the poem. So it is, um, the meaning is a lot less structured than what prose would do. I'm making any sense here. So the intercorn is more like a poem and it's dealing with the most fundamental situation or maybe we could call it it's dealing with our existential situation and um, in thinking about how to approach this whole it's impossible you know to talk about the intercorn and four talks and one seminar or something. But, you know, this morning I sat down and came up with <laughs> came up with this. <laughs> I uploaded this to the portal for those who are in the practice period. Um, it's like, you know, we're going to talk about Ginjo Khan today, the title, and then it pulls out various facets of our existential situation. It talks about existence, delusion and realization, self, time, life and death, attainment, what I would call field and path. Let's just pretend we know what that means. And action. That's like that's small topics. <laughs> so... When you go to the portal, you can go to study materials, and I've uploaded this, so then you can contemplate it. These little numbers are the paragraph numbering that Shuhako Okamura uses for his translation. And I'm suggesting now that you, when you study the text, use his translation. It's also in the portal. And then there are three other translations, and the way we can make use of Multiple translations is that maybe you, you, you use one main one or something. I'm suggesting to use Okamura's. And then you can go to the other translations and use them as supplements and counterpoints. Like, well, then you can see it's, it can be said differently too, or it can be understood differently or interpreted differently. And there's a certain tension that can be helpful. It can be confusing too, but let's say it's helpful. Um, now we don't speak Japanese or Chinese you know there's the Japanese is a mixture of you know indigenous Japanese um, writing and Chinese characters so we have to work with the English translation you kind of have to be willing to take seriously what the English words evoke in you. I mean, that's what I do. And then you can rely on, say, Shohaku Okamura as, as Japanese, so you can interpret the characters from his cultural background, and then he writes about it, and that can be useful to us. But at the same time, we just have to rely on the assumption, trust, that... Um, 
English translation is good enough. And that it will give us something that we can work with. Otherwise, it's always just like, well, it's not the original. Or The great thing about translations and being lost in translation is that it can lead you to other things. Well, you could just make stuff up, which isn't so useful, but when you have words that don't exactly match, and you take that word and you, and this is the technique that is necessary, you hold it against your own experience, like, what am I experiencing? Then these words can evoke your experiencing in a new way, and, and then you are in the middle of investigating your own existence, which is what the text is trying to do for with us. So, anyway, let's trust that we can work with the text as it's translated. <clears throat> so, the title Genjo Koan is made up of four characters. Gen, Jo, Ko, and An. And let's look at them uh, one by one. So Gen means to appear. And um, so right there, you know, it's like we can investigate appearance. What is appearance? In our experience. So I would say appearance is occurs through the senses. That which isn't uh, sensation, I use sensation here as that which is produced by sense, the act, sensory activity. Um, that which doesn't come through sensation is not appearance. I mean, there may be things that we don't sense, but they don't appear for us. So that's actually my view of the world, that we, that what we relate to as reality is probably just a small section of what exists. So one way I think about that is that our senses are making certain things explicit as form, as sensory form. Other things are not being made explicit as sensory form by our bodies and minds. But you can, it's a quick thought experiment, you know, if you're a dog, you make other aspects of reality explicit through your body and mind because you can hear higher frequencies as than human beings can or you know bats uh, so forth different life forms making <clears throat> different aspects of reality explicit as appearance <clears throat> Um, I read that the character Gen also um, points to what is present. And this makes sense. You know, appearance only occurs in the present. 
In, in fact, you can define the past as that which doesn't appear anymore. And you can define the future as that which hasn't appeared yet. That which appears, appears in the present. So, this first part of the title, again, focuses us directly on the present and what appears for us through the senses. So, to use a technical term here, it's a very phenomenological approach, meaning we don't speculate about stuff. We're looking at what appears now. Our life occurs now through that which appears. This may be obvious, right? But, you know, we live our life, you know, in a, in a lot of ways through what has happened to us in the past. That's what we think about that and what we want to achieve in the future. <clears throat> character Jo means to complete. So Genjo as a compound means to complete that which appears. So when you put it together as, you know, a verb, it means something like to actualize, <clears throat> to make real. And uh, as, a, as a noun, it means something like reality as it happens right now. And, um, but for me, and maybe this is where, what I've pointed to with, you know, an English word that evokes something. When I study com to complete the way I just suggested that we study appearance, it's like, what is what does it mean to complete something or anything? What makes something complete? Or what leaves something incomplete? Or is there, is it, does it even make sense to differentiate between complete and incomplete? Like, what, what, when do you do that? When is that part of your existential situation? Now, we're talking about appearance, right? So we're talking about anything. So this is a problem because it's very general. When you say appearance, it really is everything or anything. It's the sound of the cars, you know, that we hear in the background. It's this glass of water that I'm holding in my hand. It's the voice with which I'm speaking. All of these things are appearance. And now we're asking ourselves how to complete appearance. So let's just take this glass of water, which I picked up and now it's appearing. And, you know, what is, how do you complete that? <laughs> so maybe that's just a weird question. But let me complete it. 
So one dimension of completing is that a, an object, in this case this glass of water, suggests an action. It is actually a stream of activity. It's sat here and then I picked it up. And then there's a moment of completion here when I'm holding it in front of my body. Right? This is like, this is now picking it up is complete. And then it's here. And then to move it to my lips, you know, however you want to slice your moments, you know, there could be infinite moments of completion. And, you know, that could be complete. Or I take a sip of water and it returns to this position and then this moment is complete. And then, and then I put it down, you know. <clears throat> now, I'm not trying to say that there's only one action that can follow from a certain moment of, let's say, a pause. It's just for now. Um, temporarily call it a pause. There's a pause here, and then... How many path pathways come from this moment? Just one? Like, you can only put it down? I don't know. I could <laughs> throw this into Bill's. He's not, he doesn't want that. <laughs> um, if I throw it into Bill's face, there's more stuff to complete. <laughs> more uh, aftermath to deal with. So this is a safer continuation. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just playing around with an object and how it moves and how it interacts with my desires and intentions and um, what I, what I want to do in the world. Um... But an example that I like to use is crying. Um, so, say you experience loss. Somebody dies, or a fantasy of your of yours reveals itself to be a fantasy, and you are hitting the ground of reality, and you're realizing, I've been thinking about this this way, but it's a delusion. That's a loss, because then you have to adjust your life to this new understanding. Um, those kinds of losses move us to tears. It's my observation. In general, I see sadness and grief as an adequate expression of loss. So, how does this loss appear for us? Because when we say loss, you know, I don't know. How does it, it's a disappearance, but how does this disappearance of something, a fantasy, a loved one, an object that breaks, how does this disappearance manifest for us? It manifests as a sensation in the body. And one way that it manifests for many people is 
you know, a broken heart. You know, you, you feel a sensation in your heart. That's the way loss shows itself. Or a tension in your throat. Or both. Or just a general sense of feeling defeated in your whole body. <laughs> I'm not saying exactly how it is. It is some way for you when it happens. This is the appearance. How does it how do you complete this appearance? Well, let's not say you, but let's just talk about the body. The body is moved to tears. The body expresses this loss in this kind of light or pretty strong convuls convulsive 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 um activity that we call crying or shedding tears. <clears throat> if you don't complete this expression of the body, then something remains incomplete. The appearance is not completed. Like you can see, see that much of psychotherapeutic work, I think, is to complete that which hasn't been completed. You know, may I, a psychotherapist maybe would be calling this repression or something, or, you know, dissociation. You are interrupting a process of completion, and it remains incomplete. And then you have to, have to, you don't have to, but you may feel the urge to revisit that later, because the pain of it being incomplete remains in the body. So the appearance remains there in some way and is asking for completion. Because this is, um, you know, largely non-conscious, it's sort of, we are overwhelmed by that which isn't complete. It's like, how do you deal with this? I don't understand. Why is this, like, subterranean grief in my life? I don't understand. Dogen doesn't talk about this. I think it's implied. But what I what I can say here about completion is the way I've I've just presented it, it's a temporal occurrence, right? There is something, and then a step follows from that. I speak about this as carrying the present into the present. Carrying the present forward into the present. We think that the present is carried forward into the future, but it's not that way. The present is carried forward into the present because what follows is then the present. So the present doesn't go away, but it is time which is really strange. The present stays, but it moves. This is the nature of time, in a way, you know, and, and, and we cannot escape our mm, situatedness in time. 
And there's always this open question of what comes next. And we can, how do you carry the present forward into the present? And a guidepost for that could be do it in a way that completes. When you look at our Oryoki practice, it's all like, you know, it's a, it's a sequence of gestures and each gesture is, you, in each gesture you are asked to find a sense of completion. You hold the bowl, you know, the heart chakra and then you lift it and then you drink and then it returns to the heart chakra and then you put it down and then you feel that for a moment and then you move to the next thing like that. And so it's like we can, feel our life in moments in which we carry the present into the present and experiencing a sense of completion or a lack of completion, which is just a lack of a sense of a lack of completion is like to feel the question of what it takes to complete this. It's not a problem. It's a challenge. It's just the way life is. How, how, what do you, what's the next step here? Now, this, for me, this is one dimension, is time. And the other dimension is space. And this dimension of space relates to the, the question I asked earlier. Now, is there, is there anything ever incomplete? I mean, for example, if your intention is to draw a circle, right, and you start, and you stop here, then the circle is incomplete, because it wants to continue to become a full circle. But if you look at this line that you've done and stopped here, and you lift it out of the context of your attachment to a circle, what what about this line is incomplete? It's just what it is. It's complete in what it is. It sort of wants to do the circle, right? Or if you're an artist, it wants to like turn into something very different. <laughs> it wants to Get out of the pattern of a circle. It, it doesn't want to be trapped in, you know, when you're an artist, it doesn't want to be trapped in the artist meaning you're at the edge of always dissolving patterns and making new patterns. <clears throat> but this line just taken by itself that is an incomplete circle from one point of view is just a complete quarter circle. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with quarter circles? Or five-eighths circles? So I think what I do. Drawing in the air. Um, now the practice here, 
for me is something like widening out to the field, losing the focus on a particular form or uh, stream of um, stream of appearance activity, and just widen out to the field. And right now, and I'm inviting you to do that. So look at some, you know, focus on something. You just pick out one visual or something or a sound and widen out and feel the context of everything all at once as the field from which this one appearance emerges. It's like to appreciate the vastness of space and the vastness of the multiplicity of forms from which interdependence, you know, Buddhism, one appearance emerges. The whole of space completes this one appearance. It's like against the backdrop of everything, this is what it is, and it's just complete. Apply this to yourself. You've come a long way, decades of life, and here you are. Just by widening out and giving you yourself permission to be exactly what you are at this time, you're complete. There's nothing that needs to be done. Who's judging? Who's judging the five-eighth circle as incomplete? You may be judging it, but you don't have to apply that framework. You can, but you don't have to. So from the point of view of time, there's a next step that wants to be taken. Well, from the point of view of space, everything is just exactly as it is, still, unmoving, just now, like this. So from my experience, in my view, this is the secret sauce of Zen practice. <laughs> At any moment, you feel completion, spatially. And then it gives you the freedom to carry the present into the present. You may complete the circle, or you may do something very different. If we don't have that spatial sense of completion, it's almost like we're trapped in, in the patterns of our life and we must continue to complete those. It will give us a sense of completion, actually a kind of satisfaction. When you're trapped in your patterns of suffering, at least it's familiar, you know, feels, it feels complete. If you go back into that pattern of suffering, it's like, oh yeah, I know that. Feels complete. Let's do it again. So I'm making fun of it, but it's like, that's actually a way to do it. And it's not, I mean, it produces suffering, but it's not necessarily wrong. Mm, so already... Really, a lot of stuff there, Genjo, to complete 
that which appears. That which appears is always already complete from a spatial point of view, the way I'm talking about it right now, and it is always incomplete from a temporal point of view. So there you have a paradox and a tension to deal with in everything. And the question is how there's freedom in there, how there's liberation in there. And I think there's liberation when you feel completion in that which is in temporally incomplete. We can't escape time in this, you know. Yes, actually, that's an escape of, from time, is this sense of completion at any time. But then we have to, again, function within time. And take another step. Always one step, the next step. Okay, so now, koan. Ko means to be public. And it's a public case. And Chinese officials, I read, are, you know, were asked or were expected to treat everyone involved in the, this legal case as equal, irrespective of their social standing. Well, we have this. We don't discriminate based on class and gender and um, um, color of your skin, etc. Right? We have we have that ideal built into how we treat the, uh, each other. So, you know, in political science, this would be treated as universalism, or there is, you know, there are universal values of um, that to treat everyone equally. So it means something like universality, co, means the universal aspect, but not just of people, of all things. Against the backdrop of emptiness or God, here comes God into the picture. Um, against the backdrop of emptiness, everything is the same. Everything is an impermanent appearance against the backdrop of emptiness. This is sort of the universal background of all appearance. Now, I brought in God because one of the big contributions of Christianity, I think, to our culture is that everyone is equal before God. I don't think you could have democracy without Christianity, really, because you have this relationship between each individual and God, and before God, each individual, despite their differences, are equal is every individual, you know, all individuals are equal. God regards all beings as the same. Same value. The sinners and the saints. It's very kind of this. This is how God is loving, I think. Because, <clears throat> you know, think about love. It's like, 
To love someone means to accept them as they are. So from if we take God away and work with emptiness, which is what the Buddhist tradition provides us, it's like emptiness is this vast ocean of interdependent waves. And each wave is an expression of the water. And all waves are water. Waves have different shapes, but they're all water. And that's the universal aspect of it. <clears throat> that's ko. And an is, I'm, I read, Sene, who is the, Shuhako Okamura spells this out in his book, which I recommend. If you want to read one thing, the most accessible is Okamura's book, Realizing Genjo Koan. So he, he talks about how Sene, who was a... Um, disciple of Dogen, interpreted the character An, which is complicated and has different readings. He interpreted, and this is thought to have some authority that Dogen meant it that way, means to keep one's own lot. And I like that. It's like, we're all different. We're all unique. And, you know, to live your life by under this principle of keeping your own lot, is to know how you are particular or unique in comparison to others and to live your life in accordance with that, which means, you know, you live in accord with your talents. You are living in accord with your height. <laughs> you are living in accord with the condition of your heart. And if you're old, you slow down. And when you're young, you exercise. And don't be too sluggish. You know, something like that. In accordance with the unique features of the, this appearance right now, to keep one's own lot. It's like a societal, legal term, you know. There's the universality, and then there is the uniqueness. And so Genjo Koan is to complete that which appears, being simultaneously universal and unique. Every appearance is unique. It's a wave with a particular shape. And it's universal. All waves are water. In the, in the appearance of this wave, there's completion. Already completion. And there is the need for the wave to do the next step. This is how I'm interpreting right now Genjo Koan as sort of the center. It's like this central phrase that points to our existential situation. And it plays out in each moment. So we don't need a special situation to practice. We're practicing with this existential dynamic now, in this moment, and then we're practicing with it again in this moment.
So no special setup required because those ingredients of appearance and completion and universality and uniqueness are there at all times. And they produce suffering, those ingredients produce suffering, or liberation depending on how you navigate them. So I've already indicated this, is that from a point of view of practicality, like how do you practice this? I think the first order of business is to um, have, um, grow into some clarity of what I call focus and field. Many of you have heard me talk about this. Attention is the, the, the most fundamental way that we exist is through our attention. Attention moves from focus to focus. When attention moves to this focus, looking at Josh, right? Josh appears for me. For if if you want to keep the self out for this attention, Josh appears, and then attention moves to another focus, and this picture appears, and then attention moves into a different sense channel, and. No sound of cars appears. <laughs> they were just there, but now they're gone. And here's a car. And so notice how your attention moves from focus to focus and produces appearance. So when Dogen talks about appearance, underlying it has to be our study of attention. Because without attention, nothing appears. I, I talked about the senses, but even more fundamental than the senses is, is attention. It's almost like attention just makes use of the senses. If that makes any sense. And attention can be focused in which case a form appears. Or attention can be wide, field-like, in which case you are not focused on anything in particular. Which means everything all at once appears, which is a pretty blurry thing. Everything all at once, when nothing is differentiated, that's the universal dimension. That's like, that's how everything is just water. This is, um, this is why we meditate, to have, to widen attention, to feel sort of the underlying um, presence of all forms. So your, 
your practice of genjo korn actually is is a is a is a study and a moving between you know field and focus awareness and attentional directedness open awareness and attentional directedness You, you, do you know or do, can you recall how it is when you get drawn into an attentional focus, your sense of ease that comes from being located in the field can just disappear and you are caught, as we say, you know, you're caught up in something. You're losing the ease of your life, the com sense of com that everything is already complete. You can become manic and totally taken over by some temporal arc of, you know, what needs to be completed. But if you can stay located in the field, the sense of completion comes back. So study that. Study how through this dynamic of, it sounds pretty simple, right? Focus and field Appearance occurs, completion occurs or is lacking, how there's a sense of sameness, everything is actually one big existential soup, and differentiation, how, you know, individual things appear from this, you know, soup. Soup. It's a technical term. <laughs> the soup of emptiness. Thank you very much.